You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. Hi, thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. And it's great to be with Trevor Shulton, who's had tremendous experience in actually moving the physical activity agenda forward, no pun intended. Trevor, there's a Seven Investments podcast that listeners can go to as well by Fiona Bull. And what I'm looking forward to chatting to you about is to really focus on social marketing. And you did a terrific talk at the International Physical Activity and Health Conference in Sydney on this topic. So let's begin by having you place social marketing just briefly within the Seven Investments, and then we'll drill deeper into how people should social market. Okay, well, well there's, there's two things, Kareem, I'd say about that. One, one is the, um, the social marketing exercise does need to be embedded in the other seven, if there's one, uh, the other six rather, but if the, the, there is one thing that's clear from the research, it's that public education and social marketing campaigns work best when they're implemented in conjunction with a range of other initiatives. So there are programmatic things and environment change things and opportunities for people to participate so that if the social market is successful in arousing interest and raising awareness and giving people some enthusiasm to go out and participate, then there's an environment that's conducive to that. There's programs they can sign up to. And the second thing is I'm acutely aware that um, once you put out a document, as terrific a document as it is about the seven investments, of course, the very next question is, please tell me more about transportation, about primary care, about social marketing. And, and so we have a goal to produce further guidance for people that if you're interested in the public education and social marketing space, here's some more information about how to do that, how to research that, how to uh, deliver the message and how to get the kind of results you would hope to get through um, comprehensive media. Okay, so social marketing is a word that is used a lot and you know, not all of our listeners will have had a lecture on social marketing and uh, how it can differs from mass media. So why don't you start at the start and just define that for us before we go into the elements that you think are essential for a practical social marketing campaign. Okay, so the term that people will most typically hear is mass media. So that includes television, online, radio. Um, uh, the distinction between that media only approach and social marketing is that social marketing seeks to embed that media in uh, behaviour change approaches, community initiatives and possibly environment change initiatives as well. Um, so that, that when you see social marketing and you see these terms used interchangeably, not the same as mass media. Campaigns, media campaigns implemented in a way that they're uh, complemented by these other initiatives and programs is far more likely to be effective than media on its own. And we're in Perth, and we want to talk about success stories in BJSM. We want to be very practical, and we're assuming people are going to be listening to this who are in a position to make a change. And so we'd like them to hear about the success story. So why don't you just take it away, however you see fit, Trevor? Well, I could probably talk about this from three perspectives. One is the formative or development work that you do. Uh, the other is uh, once you've developed something that you think will work, how do you put it to air? Where do you put it to air? And then... At the end of that, how do you measure if you've been successful? Now, of those three, the one that is probably understated and under-published uh, and not as well understood is formative research. This is a really expensive business. You know, if you're going to do a good uh, television campaign that's complemented by other forms of media, you know, your development budget's going to be somewhere between two hundred and five hundred thousand dollars Australian dollars. 
Uh, it's not something you can afford to get wrong. You want to do the best you can to make sure that you get the right message and you get the message right in terms of its channel and its delivery. So just to take you through some of the things we did here in Western Australia, where we've been running these for 12 years under the banner of Find 30 Every Day. Now you can see already that Find 30 Every Day is a health message that's grounded in the guidelines. It's talking about how many minutes, Find 30, and it's talking about frequency, do it every day. That brand in Western Australia, and the last time we measured it in 2011, had 96% awareness. And you can imagine that uh, when you ask the same people how many minutes do you need to do, they're going to tell you 30 and they're going to tell you every day. So that's one really important principle is that your brand actually communicates something. It's not some kind of benign message. It actually has something that's meaningful. Of course, there's a whole range of quantitative data available. So in Western Australia and in many other places in the world, we do physical activity surveys um, and we go into those to look at uh, who's doing physical activity, where are they doing physical activity, who are they doing it with, what facilities are they using, uh, and you can see how that would inform the kind of media messages that we would uh, be uh, putting on you know, to air. We then complemented that with really good quality qualitative research. We did numerous interviews with uh, and focus groups with uh, a range of different demographics, and uh, you know, in there you're kind of drilling into uh, what does your typical day look like? You know, what is the role of physical activity in your routine? So, Corinne, some of the things that come out of that are, are things like uh, I don't have enough time, uh, some misperceptions about, you know, you need to run a half marathon to get the benefit, you know, and the moderate message not being well understood. So out of that, the, the Find 30 Every Day message was born. And um, it, it's important also to uh, have some sense of theory with this, behaviour change theory, and there are a number of them that we uh, used, probably the one that we used most is uh, the, the social cognitive theory. And in a nutshell, what that says is it's not enough just to leap straight into the behaviour. You need to have some underlying insights into why people choose to behave in a particular way. Clear brand, clear message. Uh, and then the final step of this is to take it to a group of people who have the skills that we don't, a communications agency, an advertising agency, and work with them on the kind of channels of delivery and um, then there's a whole raft of this that happens again. They come back to you with what they call propositions or ideas You go or, and, they, and some concepts and we go out and test those again with the target audience. And um, Now this sounds like an involved process, it is an involved process, but if I can return to what I said before, you know, you wouldn't find a pharmaceutical company that would be putting a drug in the marketplace without thoroughly testing it. You want to be sure that the ad that you put on television, which is very expensive to produce, has the very best chance of having the right message delivered in the right way to achieve the objectives that you do. So formative, uh, critically important. Uh, second step is uh, process. So you've got the product. And if I could continue my uh, drug analogy, you've got a drug that works. You've got a statin. Of course, the next thing you need to know with a drug is how often do I take it? You know, when do I take it? And so if I can continue that analogy with media, there's a fair amount of science around how much media you need to get a behavioural impact and how much media you need to get a whole hierarchy of other impacts. Um, we use a theory, Maguire's hierarchy of effect, where we, um, we look in the first instance at awareness. If you get 80% awareness, uh, you'll get half of that number who will understand the message, half of that number who will comprehend the message, half of that number who would accept the message, 
And so it continues to forming an intention and changing your behavior. And you end up getting 1% or 2% of people telling you that they intend to change their behavior. Now, a critical message in population health is to not underestimate the importance of that change. You know, we know that the greatest single success in public health history is the reduction in smoking in developed countries in particular. And if you unpack that and look at it over 30 years, it amounts to about 0.5 to 0.75% of 1% per annum change. Now, in clinical terms, you would say that's not significant. In population terms, that is highly significant. So we use the, um, the hierarchy of needs in our, in our campaigns. We usually get between 60 and 70% awareness where we do exceptionally well. And this harks back to the formative because of the effort we've put into getting the message right and delivering it well, uh, we're getting between 20% and 25% of people forming an intention to change their behavior and anything from seven to 15% of people telling us self-reported that they did change their behavior because they saw this campaign or this message. The other thing about dose is how much do you buy, where do you buy it? Now, it's a bit of an inexact science, but here in Australia we use a, um, a system called TARPS, Target Audience Rating Points. And uh, if I could explain that in the simplest terms, it's a combination of reach and frequency. 80% of the population three times would be 240 TARPS. So we know that to achieve the kind of change that we're seeking, you need around 200 to 250 TARPS uh, per week in bursts across a year. You might have five-week bursts four times a year. Most of the literature that I've seen in tobacco control and other areas would say a similar thing. That's the television dose. Of course, you then complement that. You can be quite innovative. We've had very innovative approaches to outdoor signage, you know, congratulating people when they've uh, got off the bus to stop early and walk the rest of the way for taking the stairs. Um, outdoor, online, radio, uh, particularly these days, online and beginning to use social media to get the message out in ways other than television. We're still finding, despite the uh, technology and communication revolution, that the best way to reach the entire population is still television, but it's important to get that mix happening. And, and I should return in terms of this process to what I said earlier about making sure that your media is integrated with um, programs. We've had everything from uh, advice going to general practitioners to provide to their patients, to walking groups in communities and a whole range of other uh, behavior change type programs, uh, special events, walk days, walk weeks, and they all carry the brand. So they're all called Find 30 they're all linked and that comprehensive approach just adds to the effectiveness of the media. So I mean that's basically how we put together what we put together. When it comes to impact and measuring it, uh, we have a, um, we have a uh, instrument that we use which uh, traces the hierarchy of effects that I talked about before. So have you ever seen a campaign? Uh, where did you see it? Um, for everything from unprompted awareness to prompted awareness and recognition, have you seen this campaign, right through to um, uh, what I said before, acceptance um, and understanding through to forming an intention to have you change your behaviour as a result of seeing this message. And so we consistently evaluate our campaigns using that same framework and uh, we're finding, um, because we've been doing it for a long time, that our results are good and they're continuing to improve. Thanks, Trevor. It's great to benefit from your experience. And are there any sort of 
short stories that capture it if you're explaining this to someone like a politician or someone like that and you say look you need to invest in these programs because we've seen this happen. Yeah, there is a fair amount of scepticism politically about whether media campaigns work. And uh, I recall a particular um, conversation with a particular nameless politician who was questioning with me whether uh, mass media changes behaviour. I asked him if he would contemplate going to the next election without a television campaign. And of course he... um, he hadn't thought about that before, and, and I said, "Is your?" So he said, "Of course, you have to run a television campaign. You couldn't win an election without a television campaign." And in the modern era, I think everybody knows that. So I said, "Well, your um, comment and understanding is predicated on the assumption that um, uh, an election campaign, well executed on television, would change voter behaviour." It's a. I rest my case. So you know, you engage um, the politician if you have the luxury of being able to do it in the kind of conversation we've just had. That that it does work, but it isn't that simple. They ne- these things need to be very well thought through and structured. They need to have a dose that is sufficient to make a difference. They also need long-term political commitment. I mean, media campaigns are not something you do once. Uh, they're something that need uh, you know a decade. Uh, and here in more. Western Australia, tell us the history of the three campaigns, if I understand it. Uh, yeah, we've had four now, but we've our history goes back to uh, the early 1990s uh, with a campaign called Find 30, and people can see that campaign still online. It's been implemented in other states, especially at the moment Tasmania. So Find 30 had two iterations. Uh, Find 30, it, it needn't be a difficult exercise, was the first campaign, and then Find 30 every day was the second campaign because we want to reinforce this frequency of doing it every day. We've also had specific targeted campaigns. We had one targeting parents about getting children away from screens, and that's called Unplug and Play. Now, that title is fairly self-evident in what it's trying to do, get people away from um, screens and outside and playing with their friends. Uh, we've had two um, healthy weight campaigns, one called um, Draw the Line, uh, which was innovative in its own right. That was a campaign that was basically saying to the population its focus was on preventing weight gain so draw the line was make today the most you'll ever weigh and don't gain weight and just recently we've gone back into the field with something a bit more hard hitting in the uh, healthy weight space called uh, live lighter because we found that people were kind of getting the weight message but not really elevating it in importance and uh, yeah it's an attempt to get people to get this from tenth on their list to maybe fourth or fifth on their list in terms of losing weight, changing behaviour. So yeah, so our experience is uh, is broad and it cuts into things that I haven't talked about in tobacco control and other issues as well. So we've learned a lot about how to do this and, and do it well. And Trevor, just to finish, people will be familiar with some tobacco campaigns and some have been quite hard-hitting. So do you want to just comment for people who are aware of those, saying some parallels or differences on the physical activity um, programs? Yeah, I mean, there are differences because physical activity is an acquisition behaviour. It's not about quitting an addiction. Or um, um, And prob- probably the best example I can give you is the one that I referred to, uh, Live Lighter, which is our new uh, healthy weight campaign. Um um, people were in our focus groups were, were seeing weight as important. You know, you talk to them about it, it's very important for them, very important for their family, very important for the community. But it was kind of like uh, carrying extra junk in the boot of your car. You know, it's there, you know, it's harming your fuel efficiency. You're going to fix it one day. One day you're going to clean the boot and get it out. But it's not a priority. So everyone knows it shouldn't be there. So if you, you could, can 
imagine this to be your extra belly that you're carrying around. A similar thing. But if that junk in the boot was wrapped around your motor and choking the performance of your vehicle, uh, you'd have a different view. And so we, from the lessons of tobacco control campaigns, where we were giving people new insights about how their smoking was causing buildup of fatty deposits in their arteries, how it was contributing to cancer, we have this focus in the Live Lighter campaign on, on visceral fat. So it's very directly learning from the tobacco control experience and um, a very different approach. Um, and I think there's a role for different approaches. Um, you wouldn't, I don't think you would adopt that approach with a campaign that was specifically on physical activity. Uh, you, you would need to be very carefully researching that. And maybe along the same lines, uh, the motor vehicle ones, the hard-hitting motor vehicle ones, is, is it much the same? Yeah, I think in, um, so you're referring to our uh, traffic accident prevention campaigns. I mean, they are very, very firmly based on research as well. It's probably in that area where the research is most clear. We know in this country, and I'm sure it's the same in Britain and Canada, the United States, elsewhere, um, when you break down the road trauma issue, it's caused by speed, uh, tiredness, not wearing seat belts, and uh, alcohol. And we, so we know what's causing it. We know generally who the culprits are. It's 17 to 25 year old men. So if you think about that in terms of you go back to what I said about formative research, you've got really reliable epi that's telling you if you're going to do a television campaign about that, then focus on speed, focus on booze, focus on inattention and focus on young blokes. So that's exactly what we do. And they're hard hitting and uh, in our focus groups, uh, you know, they, there's things they tell us they don't like. They don't like getting arrested. They don't like contributing to the death of a family member or a mate. So they are deliberately hard-hitting campaigns that focus on those things, and, and they do make a difference. Great. And Trevor, uh, folks can find some links on our website and also see those on YouTube and quite easily through Google. So let's leave it there. I think you've raised a bunch of interesting issues for people thinking about this element of the seven investments. And I remind the listeners that we're anchoring these podcasts in this document called The Seven Investments, which you can find on BJSM and also on, on Google. The Seven Investments to Get Rid of Physical Inactivity. Don't forget to follow us uh, on the BJSM blog and uh, alert your friends to our Twitter handle at BJSM underscore BMJ. Thanks for following this BJSM podcast and have a look around for other interesting podcasts in your area of sports and exercise medicine. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.